the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. At once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And when he was in the wilderness, 40 days being tempted by Satan, he was with the wild animals and the angels attended him. After he was put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee, claiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Okay. The book of Acts chapter 10, starting with verse 34, um, is what the message is going to be based on today, correct? More or less. Okay. Well, here's more, uh, starting with verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. Now I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know, what's hap you know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God uh, anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized yes, with you. water. He received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Okay, this is the first time I've used this microphone. And uh, it's the closest I've ever come to feeling like a pop star. And uh, it's the closest I'll ever come to feeling like a pop star. Uh, I read a story online uh, earlier this week. It was one of those good news, bad news stories. It was about a guy who uh, was an artist, and he was showing a bunch of his paintings at this particular gallery. Well, the gallery owner came to him and said, I have good news and bad news. So the artist said, well, give me the good news first. Okay, there was this guy the other day who came in and he was looking at your paintings. They really liked them. And he said, uh, are these paintings likely to be worth more after the artist's death? And I said, yes. And after that, he bought every single one of your paintings. 
And the artist said, well, that's wonderful. Uh, what could the bad news be? And the gallery owner said, well, that man was your doctor. So I'm going to be talking about uh, good news today, but it's good news without any bad news attached to it. A few years ago, uh, a couple of decades actually, Keith Green published a pamphlet called What's Wrong with the Gospel? Uh, among other things, he said that the gospel that we preach had become too me-centered. He described a Jesus who would come to meet our needs and bless us, but who never asked very much of us in return. He had a point. Um, so this week, I decided to do some research to find out what the New Testament says. Okay. So uh, justification by faith is what some people think is the gospel. And obviously that's a big deal for Protestant traditions, uh, especially Lutheran and Reformed folks. And Paul certainly does talk about that. But when he talks about it, he doesn't call it the gospel. The problem with all of these things, uh, uh, ideas of what the gospel is, is that they're all about us. They're about how we can find forgiveness and be saved. Now, the New Testament writers do talk about how we can find forgiveness and be saved, but that's not what they talk about when they identify something as the gospel. So, uh, in, in short, the gospel is not about us, although we are called to respond to it. Spoiler alert, uh, the gospel is about Jesus. A word gospel uh, in Greek, that is, is both a noun and a verb. The noun is euangelion, and the verb is euangelizo. Basically, the noun means good news, and the verb means to announce or proclaim good news. So you can think of it in terms of a herald who would go around in the days before the internet uh, sharing with everybody he ran into, all the towns and villages, whatever the important announcements were that they should know. So if we change the use to these, it'll look a little more familiar. It then becomes evangelion and evangelizo. Basically, evangel is an old word that means gospel or good news. And so um, evangelize then means to share the evangel or the good news. So, um, so basically uh, the evangel or the gospel is good news. The English word gospel comes from old Anglo-Saxon Saxon words. It's good spale which means good message or good news. So we don't have a verb form of the word gospel in English. If we wanted to make one up, we could say that we are called to be gospelists who gospelize the gospel. Or if you want to go the other way, we're called to be evangelists who evangelize the evangel. But, you know, in English, we can't tell that these things are all the same word uh, in the Greek. So in the New Testament, the gospel is called a few things. It's called the gospel of God because it comes from God. Um, it's called the gospel of the kingdom because it's about uh, the kingdom or reign of God over creation. In Revelation, uh, it's called the eternal gospel that should be proclaimed to everybody on the earth. 
Mark 1.1 is essentially the title of Mark's gospel. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So when it says the gospel of Jesus Christ, it could mean the gospel about Jesus or the gospel that Jesus brings. And really in the New Testament, uh, it means both. Uh, First, Jesus brought the gospel because he announced the good news. In verse 15, it says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Then the good news that Jesus brought became the good news about Jesus. In Acts 8.12, Philip proclaims the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. And so it became good news about Jesus because Jesus didn't just talk about the kingdom or God's reign. He actually brought it in. He inaugurated it. So just like a president gets inaugurated when he or she is sworn in uh, and in order to take office, Jesus inaugurated the kingdom or reign of God in his ministry. He taught the truth about God. He forgave sins. He healed people. He freed people from demonic influence. So in all these ways, he was taking the world back from Satan by the power of the Holy Spirit and restoring God's loving reign in people's lives. But uh, while he was here in his earthly ministry, he didn't complete the kingdom of God. There's still stuff that goes against what God wants for people and for creation. And so that will be taken care of when Jesus comes back and when he defeats finally all the enemies of God, including finally death. The gospel is a story. It's the story of what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do in Jesus Christ. That's why Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are called gospels, because they tell the story. Mark, which was probably the earliest gospel written, apparently had to invent a new literary form in order to tell the story of Jesus. So this gospel story is a long-awaited story because it tells about when God's promises to his people were finally being fulfilled. That is, his promise to send them as Messiah. It's also a rescue story in which God does for his people what his people can't do for themselves. It's a hero story in which a small town carpenter becomes a king. It's also a mystery story. Paul refers to the gospel as a mystery. And what he means by that is that it's got this shocking twist in it, namely that Gentiles can uh, receive the mercy of God and be part of God's people just as well as Jewish people can. It's also a never-ending story, no pun intended, because it's not done yet. Uh, Its goal is eternity. So our other scripture passages that we read today um, are examples of three different people telling the gospel story. The first one in Mark is Jesus telling that story. Uh, He says in verse 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. So basically the time is fulfilled. That is, it's the time when God's promises of the Messiah are going to be fulfilled. And the kingdom of God has come near. That's what I was talking about when I said Jesus brought it into existence. That is, he reasserted God's reign over creation. Uh, Jesus is doing this through his teaching and his healings and his exorcisms and all those things. 
I mean, we often think of all those miracles Jesus did as signs that validate his message. But they're also more than that. They're also uh, showing what God's reign is like. Basically, it's good news because people are freed from sin, from evil, from disease, um, and they're made whole. And that's what God wants. So in our other passage, one of our other passages, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul reminds the Corinthians of the gospel. He says, I handed on to you as of first importance what I, in turn, had received. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he uh, was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, And he continues on with appearances until he gets to himself. So when he tells the story, Paul says Jesus died, was buried, rose from the dead, and appeared to many people. So what he's doing, he's including the parts of the story that are important for the point he's trying to make. uh, Because the Corinthians, some of them, were denying that there was going to be a resurrection of all of us uh, at the end of time. Uh, And so he includes those parts because uh, he wants to emphasize the reality of the resurrection. In Acts, that long passage that was read, Peter was sharing the gospel with a household of Cornelius. This is the first time that the story of Jesus was told to Gentiles, that is, non-Jews. And so you can put all of us in there. So I'm going to read it again. Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to all the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, Can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they invited him to stay for several days. So I was interested to find out that the gospel even includes things that haven't happened yet. Namely, that Jesus has been granted the authority to be the judge at the final judgment. So that gospel story isn't finished yet. Peter describes the gospel as a gospel of peace because uh, Jesus brings peace between people and God and between people and each other. 
uh, he brings it about and he also oversees it because he is Lord of all. There's other passages that bring out some other aspects of the gospel. I mean, we've already seen it, but there's other places also that talk about the importance that Jesus is the Messiah promised to Israel. In 2 Timothy 2.8, Paul says, Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, a descendant of David, that is my gospel. So again, he's saying a shorthand, Jesus is the Messiah that we have been promised. The gospel is also good news to the poor. Uh, And that's because it communicates God's love for the poor and God's desire to liberate them from bondage. It also promises, that is the gospel, promises that we have hope for the future because of Jesus. Then finally, Paul tells Timothy that the gospel has brought life and immortality to light. In other words, uh, through the gospel, we can have eternal life. In Romans 1, Paul says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So the gospel is able to bring about salvation for people who hear it and respond to it. But our salvation is the result of the gospel instead of the gospel itself. And that salvation is available now to everybody, not just Jewish people, but to everybody So in summary, the gospel isn't about how I can get saved. It's about, uh, I mean, I mentioned before that uh, justification by faith is the way Protestants have tended to describe the gospel. Uh, But that's not how the New Testament sees it. Instead, to share the gospel is to tell the story of Jesus. So what kind of response does the gospel expect? In Mark 1, Jesus says, repent and believe the good news. So turn away from sin and turn toward Jesus and trust him as the herald of God's reign and follow him. So in Acts 2.38, Peter tells the crowd, repent and be baptized. It's possible he doesn't tell them to believe because they were already asking him, what should we do? So they've already believed. Then in Acts 10, Peter tells Cornelius' household to believe in Jesus and be baptized. So I'm sensing a theme here. Uh, Repent, believe in Jesus, be baptized as a uh, representation of our commitment to follow him. Paul describes his gospel in the whole book of Romans. When he describes the proper response in Romans 10, he says, to confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So confessing Jesus as Lord means acknowledging that Jesus is king. He's exalted and reigning at the Father's right hand in heaven. Uh, A theologian, a biblical scholar named Scott McKnight calls it the King Jesus gospel. And I I think that's handy. It reminds us of Jesus's current position. So confessing him as Lord isn't just assimilating a piece of information. I mean, back in Jesus's day, if a herald came around announcing that there was a new Roman emperor, He wasn't just sharing a random bit of information. He was sharing something that changed the lives of the people that he talked to. It told them that they had a new king, whether they liked it or not. This is the person who now has the power of life and death over you. This is the person you will now obey or face the consequences. This is the person you'll pay taxes to, and you will give him any service he requires. It's hard for us to get this because as Americans, we don't really believe in kings. 
uh, we uh, overthrew or actually rebelled against the last one we had. Uh, and we elect people to office. And if we don't like them, we kick them out again. <clears throat> but Jesus is not uh, kicked out of all. He, he is the king, and he is, as people once said, large and in charge. He has absolute power. Fortunately for us, Jesus is a way better king than any Roman emperor was. Both Peter and Paul says that the response to the gospel is that we have to obey the gospel. <clears throat> In other words, uh, our lives have to testify to the truth of the story we tell. That is the story of Jesus. So what does it mean to obey a story? It means, for one thing, that we have to live as though the story is true. And think about, so what does that mean then for my life if this story is true? We let it be the framework within which we understand our own stories. And we see our story as part of that big story. So Jesus is king, and that means Jesus is our king. That also means nobody else is. So where does all this leave us? First, as I said before, the gospel story is not about us. It's about Jesus. So one thing I've been reflecting on is maybe we should rethink the idea that salvation means inviting Jesus into our lives. That implies that we can just add him into all the other stuff we have going on in our lives. Maybe instead we should think about salvation as Jesus inviting us into his life. After all, he's the one who has life to share. Uh, and we're the ones who need it. So we can share Jesus' life, but we have to do it on Jesus' terms. So let's remember that he's the hero of the story, and we're not. Second, we need to respond to the story. Uh, that means, as I said, acknowledging Jesus as our king and obeying what the story tells us to do. Third, we're supposed to tell the story. We're supposed to take that noun gospel and turn it into the verb gospel. We're supposed to testify to what we have seen and heard, what Jesus has done in our own lives, adding our testimony to the testimony of everybody who came before us way back to those first disciples. So we're supposed to become gospelists. That is, people who have believed the story, have obeyed the story, and are able to tell the story because our story has become part of it. Finally, then, as Paul told the uh, Philippians, we should live lives that are worthy of the gospel and strive together for the faith of the gospel. So we should let the story of Jesus govern our lives, and we should be people who look like Jesus. We should defend the story of Jesus and be willing to persecute, be persecuted if necessary because of it. I saw a good comment online about the gospel. It said that we Christians are called to be good news before we share the good news. That means we should be showing the beauty of Jesus to everybody in the everyday relationships of our lives. We will need the power of the Holy Spirit in order to be able to do that because the Spirit makes Jesus real in our lives and then gives us the power we need to follow him. So let's be gospel people in both our words and our lives. Amen.